Um, this morning, we're going to break from Hebrews. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, uh, the first 12 verses, as we prepare our hearts uh, for Christmas. And we're thinking about the coming of Christ uh, this time of year. So please turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 and 2, as we'll be looking at the coming of Christ through Mary's perspective on Wednesday. Also just want to express to you this time of year, I tend to be reflective and just think about uh, this year and all of the times that we've gathered together on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings and Wednesdays. And I just want to let you know how thankful I am for each and every one of you and so excited to be part of the body here at RMC. And if I could sit down with each of you and wish you Merry Christmas, I would love to do that, but I can't. And so this is my opportunity, Merry Christmas, and I hope you all just have a wonderful Christmas and love being here and excited about uh, what the Lord is doing. So let's pray and prepare our hearts for being in the Word this morning. Father, as we study the wise men this morning, we pray that our hearts would be moved to worship you, to be present with you, and we take a moment to acknowledge that you're with us. Lord, help us to be still and know that you're God. In Jesus' name, amen. This message really comes out of some thoughts that I've been having uh, over the last few weeks. A challenge for me this time of year, by the time I get to Christmas morning, is to not be present. I find myself being there physically, but spiritually and emotionally, I'm somewhere else. And I think a lot of it is really the busyness that has taken place. So the last couple of years, I've been trying to change that a little bit and reorient it. So I want to take you back to when you were in school and your teacher would do roll call. Remember that? It's a little bit old school. Read off the names and you'd have to say present or here, right? And so my question for you this morning is, are you present or are you absent? Maybe you're here physically, but your heart and your mind is somewhere else and you're really distracted and you're going, man, I, I desire to worship, but my, my attention is somewhere else. And that's easily what happens to us in, in our hearts, in our lives. And so as we go through this, oh, hang on, I, I got a text. You, you guys don't mind, do you? It's, it's just Christmas time and there's so much going on. Kinda, I'm going to dual task a little bit here. So, sorry about that. So like I was saying, it's really easy to be distracted and kind of be all, all over the place and and wonder what, what, is, what is going on. But the wise men, in contrast to that busyness and all that they were going through, is they focused on Christ. They really got their attention upon who Christ is and, and all that he does. And so it's a real practical message for us as we go through, is we're going to look at the example of the wise men and how they were present, they weren't absent. And I'm going to go ahead and turn my phone off. So, did I get any of you guys? I did not for real get a text. That was planned out <laughs> for sake of illustration. Maybe there's these words that kind of describe what you're feeling. Stressed, overwhelmed, debt. And it can be replaced. It's not too late for it to be replaced with joy, peace, thanksgiving, worship. So that's what we're intending this morning is to learn from the wise men. Let's start in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. It's sometime after Christ was born in Bethlehem. We don't know how long, but we do know that Christ is no longer in the stable with the barn animals, but they're in a house. And sometime has occurred, he's still in Bethlehem, that the wise men come to visit him in Jerusalem. Bethlehem, the place where God's son is born. It's not a place that you would go to because it's a magnificent, magnificent city. It's a place of obscurity. It's about five miles outside of Jerusalem. Even to this day, it's a very difficult and tough town. Christ, by coming to Bethlehem, being born in Bethlehem, shows his humility, shows his relatability. If he was born in some palace, some mansion, some city that's known for its grandeur, many wouldn't be able to relate to it. But Christ was born in Bethlehem, also in the days of Herod. This was a difficult time for the children of Israel. They're under the Roman rule, the Roman occupation. Herod is a cruel leader with great brutality. He's going to kill all of the boys that are two years and younger and attempt to kill Christ. It's this black backdrop in which Christ is born in Israel's history. It says the wise men are from the east and they come to Jerusalem. In the east, we don't know the exact location, but in the area of Babylon, Persia, that location, these men were watching the stars. The word wise men in, in the Greek is M-A-G-O-I. Those are the, the English letters that we translate from the Greek language, which we get the word magi. Maybe you've heard that before. These guys are not kings, they're wise men, and they dedicated their lives to the study of astrology, to the, the study of mysteries. So they were looking at the stars. This was their habit to do. And they see a specific star and they know that something supernatural is happening. They were looking for the anticipation of the Messiah. So how was their wise men in the East who had a messianic anticipation? An anticipation for the Christ to come. It's because Israel, remember when they were in exile, taken out of the promised land, where were they taken to? They were taken to the east. They were taken to Babylon, 70 years of exile. Some of the Jewish people stayed in the east, didn't return to the promised land. They planted the seed of the expectation of the Christ, and these wise men caught that expectation, and they were looking to the skies. And we see that in verse 2, saying, "'Where is he who has been born king of the Jews?' For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship. So when they saw his star, they make the journey with the intention to come and worship the Christ. So we're going to talk about five ways that the kings were present. Five ways that the kings engaged with Christ and engaged with people. And we're going to make them first person for us. We've got to see the sign. They saw the sign, didn't they? That, that's number one. See the sign. They were paying close enough attention... They could see the star, Christ's star, and they responded to it. God is going to give us signs for the intention of bringing us to the feet of Jesus for worship. It may be a sunrise, maybe a sunset, a part of his creation. This star was part of God's creation to bring attention to, to Jesus Christ. I think creation is continually giving us a sign to point us to Jesus Christ. It may be some circumstances in our lives. 
we start to go, what's going on here? God is doing something to bring us to the feet of Jesus Christ in worship. Sometimes it's provision. We go, wow, Lord, you're so gracious and you're providing in, in such a meticulous way. God's bringing us to the feet of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's difficulty, isn't it? Sometimes it's trial that, that brings us to the feet of Jesus Christ. But God's saying, here's a sign. Don't miss this. Church, as we head into this week of celebrating Christ, don't miss the sign to draw near to him. I think these are, things are applicable the week of Christmas, but also they're applicable as we go throughout our lives. We're extremely busy. We're extremely distracted. We do have our phones. They're constantly going off. We're, we're addicted. What do I do? Well, I better check my email. Oh, I better, better send, out, send out a text. I'm busy. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And we miss God of the universe, our Savior, who is drawing us unto himself. What's the sign that God is giving to you this morning? But also, when we talk about being present or absent, people are giving us a sign as well. People are shining the star, saying, I want a little bit of your time. Would you slow down just a little bit? Would you make the journey uh, for us? And are you seeing that sign that, that people are giving to you? For me, oftentimes, it's with my children, especially my 11-year-old daughter and my 8-year-old daughter. They're giving out those signs saying, hey, dad, I want to talk to you. Hey, dad, I want, I want some, some of your time. We have to be careful and look to the nonverbals. No, not the nonverbals. They're so confusing. You know, but what are the people around you saying? Could it be that your spouse is saying, I want some of your time. I, I want your, your attention your kids, your grandkids? Is there someone where you work when you think about this past week where they're giving you a sign saying, would you invest in me? Could be a stranger at the grocery store. Talk about needing to be present. You know, checking out at the grocery store or Christmas shopping this time of year, you might as well just call it zombie zone. Just checkout time for me personally, you know. And I'm missing the person that's standing right in front of me that, that's saying, hey, I got a star on top of my head. Would you please take a moment just to invest in me? So are we seeing the signs that people are giving us as well? Here's the second thing is make the journey. Make the journey. The wise men saw the sign, but then they took action. They made the long trip, didn't they? They made the journey. They traveled from the east. Maybe they had camels. Maybe they didn't have camels. They traveled to meet the Christ child. Make the journey with the Lord. Maybe the Holy Spirit's going to wake you up a little bit early this week and you're like, ah, oh, I could roll over, go back to bed. Make the long journey out of bed, downstairs, draw near the Lord. Maybe you're going to find yourself staying up a little bit later to worship the Lord. Taking some time this afternoon, I'm just going to walk around the neighborhood. I'm going to thank the Lord. I'm going to draw near to God. Make that journey, whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Make that journey with people. Take that little bit of extra time. Stop and ask somebody how they're doing. Pray for them. Carve out some extra time to spend with them. But it's important if we're going to be present, we've got to see the sign, but we've also got to make the journey, don't we? And the wise men did that. They're focused on Christ. And because they're focused on Christ, they see the sign and they make the journey. Maybe in the busyness of Thursday, just take some extra time to 
Be still and know that he's God. I've got a crazy idea. This is crazy right here. So we could shut off our phones for a half an hour and spend time with the Lord. Say, I, I, you know what? I got a phone call with God right now. You know, I'm going to read his word. I'm going to be, be in prayer. But make the journey. You won't regret it. Have we ever regretted drawing near to the Lord? Amen? So let's look at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. Why was Herod troubled? Because he saw this Christ child, this king of the Jews, as a threat to his own authority. He pictured himself to be the king of the Jews. So when the wise men come asking for the Christ child, he's troubled and all of Jerusalem is troubled as well. There was something about these wise men that got the attention of all of Jerusalem. When God works, he's good at getting people's attention. And this is God's way for all of Jerusalem and Bethlehem to realize something significant has happened by this entourage of the wise men coming. How many wise men were there? We don't know. Not three. Could have been three, but we don't know that it was three. And your Bible doesn't say that there was three. No, it says there was wise men. We know it's plural, so we know it's not one. People make an assumption that it was three because there was three gifts, but it could have been five, it could have been ten. I, and this is what I picture, and I could be wrong, is I think it was probably a pretty impressive entourage because it got the attention of, of Jerusalem. These guys may have had some security traveling with them, but whatever the case may be, God used it to get the attention of Herod in Jerusalem. In verse 4, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. This is Herod. He gets together the chief priests and the scribes. He wants to know, does the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, tell us where the Christ child is to be born? Yes, it does. The chief priests and the scribes know the answer, verse 5 and 6. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it is written by the prophet, But to you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. So even scripture acknowledges how obscure Bethlehem is. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is Micah 5 verse 2. God said in the Old Testament, This is where the Christ will be born, inside of Bethlehem. The scribes and the chief priests, they had mastery of the Old Testament from a technical standpoint. They knew what the scriptures said and declared. So they were able to tell Herod, Jesus is going to be born of Bethlehem. I love the way that Christ is described. He's the ruler who's a shepherd to his people. He has absolute authority and power, but he shepherds us. He leads us with his kindness, with his tenderness at times when there needs to be firmness, but he's our good shepherd. In verse 7, then Herod, when he was had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. So Herod's able to get out of the wise men, deduct from the wise men, the exact moment the star appeared. So the wise men were saying, paying such close attention that they wrote down the very night that the star appeared and begin their journey to Jerusalem. Here's Herod, and he's speaking in verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. I think that was true statement from Herod. He's lying through his teeth. This is feigned and fake worship. 
He wants to know where the Christ child is so that he can kill Christ. From the very birth of Christ, there was an attack to kill him. And Herod's intent on trying to kill Jesus. In verse 9, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went out before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. What a moment. It's five miles or so from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. How long does it take to walk five miles? Maybe two hours or so, hour and a half. Obviously at night. Why do we know it's at night? Because you can't see the stars during the day. That's why I'm a Bible scholar. Right? <laughs> so here they are at night, traveling. The star comes, it's moving, it's moving, it stops, and the light is shining upon the house of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine the anticipation of going to the door? What they're going to find and behold? Remember a moment in your life maybe where there was anticipation going to the door. Maybe you were uh, taking somebody out on a date, guys, and you're going to the door and it's time to knock on the door. Maybe it was a little bit of ding-dong ditch and you were waiting to knock on the door. Are you guys familiar with ding-dong ditch? (laughs) Some of you are and I know why. But you can think about the anticipation that the wise men would have in going to the door. In verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. This is number three, enter the joy. They entered the joy. Notice the way this is phrased, rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They were stoked, they were excited, they were praising the Lord. This was not the kind of response where they're looking to each other going, wow, this is pretty neat, we're finally here. Let's get this over with, let's give them these gifts and get out of here. They're in the moment. And because they're in the moment and they were present, they were experiencing joy to the fullest with exceeding great joy. Church, a lot of times, joy's happening all around us, but because we're distracted, we don't enter into it. The book of Nehemiah tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're the child of God. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You have eternal life. You have an absolute certain future. Emmanuel, God is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And guess what? Sometimes we get so distracted by all the challenges, the difficulties, the tasks. I get focused in on all the things I need to do, the things that are going wrong. I don't take time to be present in those truths. When was the last time we just swam in the pool of forgiveness for a while? God, I'm forgiven. I'm your son. This is amazing. I'm going to rejoice with exceeding great joy, the joy of the Lord. No matter what our circumstances are, no matter what our health picture is, no matter what the difficulties are, the joy of the Lord, we can be exceedingly joyful in the Lord. But also, I think it takes a certain level of aware in our lives, awareness, if that's even a word, mindfulness, to be joyful inside of relationships. There can be a lot of things right around us in relationships that we should be joyful in, but instead, we're disconnected. I'm not an expert on this by any means, but I just wonder 
as our lives have gotten filled with more technology, this phone has a computer inside of it. It's so much more powerful than the computer that probably sent us to the moon for the first time. I mean, they got computers that filled rooms, and now it fits inside of our pockets, right? And as these things have come and filled our lives, and don't get me wrong, I kind of like my phone and all the things that it does. I don't get lost near as much, which I'm thankful for. But it also distracts us. So I wonder, as this has come into our lives, are we less joyful? As a culture and a group of people, are we less joyful? Are we less connected than we've ever been before? I mean, how many times, you know, sitting at a restaurant, do you look around and how many people are actually making eye contact with each other? Husband and wife, they're finally out on a date. There's a babysitter with the kids. And what are they both doing? Maybe they're texting to each other. I don't know. But it's so easy to do. I don't know, I don't know why it is, but as soon as the text goes off, it's like, Even my kids, you know, the, got it on vibrate and they hear that vibrate and they just want to see who it is, you know, who's, who's texting dad and what do we have to respond? And all this is happening and we don't actually enter in physically, personally to the joy of relationship that's all around us. Church, I want to encourage you this week and going into 2015, enter into the joy of the Lord and enter into the joy of the relationships that he's put around you. When was the last time, if you're married, that you just full-on rejoice because God's blessed you with a spouse? With your kids, if you've been blessed to be a parent, that you just full-on praise God for your kids and gave them a, a big hug? If you're single, for the relationships, the friendships that God has put into your life, the family that he has placed inside of you. But this is what I know, as I can be blessed with all these relationships around me, and I cannot take the time to enter in the joy of it. Last night, just before church, my son Wyatt, he was looking at me with those eyes where he was just saying, Dad, give it to me. I want to wrestle, and I want to wrestle right now, you know. <laughs> so there's a moment right there where I could decide I can enter into the joy of this, or I can miss it altogether. I can miss the sign he's giving me. I cannot take the journey, or I can get on the floor and just tickle his little brains out. It's amazing with little kids, right? You do that and they're just like, more, you know, laughing. And it's amazing that I got to enter into that, that joy. Don't get so stressed with the presents and the food and all of those things have their place that you don't enter into the joy of the relationships that God has, has put around you. The wise men were present. They were present to the point where they knew what they were participating in and they experienced joy, enter into the joy. In verse 11, and when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. So they're not in the barn any longer. They're in the house and they see Christ with his mom and they fall down and they worship. And, and falling down, bowing down, and worship go hand in hand. The word worship means to turn toward and to kiss. And the idea is to bow down and to kiss the feet and to give adoration. So these wise men understand worship. They, they had this in mind. They had this moment planned out. They're being intentional about this. And they see the Christ child and they worship. And then they present their treasures and when they'd opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, 
frankincense, and myrrh. They opened up their treasures. And this is point number four in being present is share the treasure. Share the treasure. Why gold? Why frankincense? Why myrrh? Gold speaks of a gift of royalty, of deity. Jesus is indeed God. The frankincense speaks of high priests. The, the high priest would use frankincense with the offering in the Old Testament for the sweet aroma. And Jesus is the high priest who's also the offering. And his offering of his life unto the Father is a sweet aroma. Myrrh speaks of his burial. It points to the fact that Christ would be crucified and buried. Jesus was born. He came to ultimately die for us upon the cross. Why could they give these kind of treasures unto Christ? Because they realized what a treasure Jesus is. God giving his son. The best place for our treasures is at the feet of Jesus. What do you really treasure? What do you really value? And out of worship, because Jesus is such a great treasure, saying, God, I put this at your feet. I'm sharing my my treasure with you. I'm worshiping you with the treasure, the thing that I, I really value. If I can't put my treasure at the feet of Jesus, then ultimately it's an idol, isn't it? It's something that I valued over Jesus Christ. To illustrate this point of what it looks like to maybe share our treasure, I'd like to read a story to you. It's going to take me about four or five minutes, so just just relax and allow me to read this to you. It was Christmas Eve, and although it was still afternoon, lights had begun to appear in the shops and the houses of this little Russian village. For the short winter day was nearly over. Excited children scurried indoors, and now only muffled sounds of chatter and laughter escaped from the closed shutters. Old Papa Panova, the village shoemaker, stepped outside his shop to take one last look around. The sounds of happiness, the bright lights, and the faint but delicious smells of Christmas cooking reminded him of past Christmas times when his wife had still been alive and his own children little. Now they had gone. His usually cheerful face with the little laughter wrinkles behind the round steel spectacles looked sad now. But he went indoors with a firm step, put up the shutters, and set a pot of coffee to heat on the charcoal stove. Then with a sigh, he settled in his big armchair. Papa Panova didn't often read, but tonight he pulled down the big old family Bible, and slowly tracing the lines with one forefinger, he read again the Christmas story. He read how Mary and Joseph tired by their journey to Bethlehem, found no room for them at the end, so that Mary's little baby was born in the cowshed. Oh dear, oh dear, exclaimed Papa Panova. If only they had come here, I would have given them my bed and would have covered the baby with my patchwork quilt to keep him warm. He read on about the wise men who'd come to see the baby Jesus, bringing him splendid gifts. Papa Panova's face fell. I have no gift that I could give him, he thought sadly. Then his face brightened. He put down the Bible, got up, and stretched his long arms to the shelf high up in his little room. He took down a small, dusty box and opened it. Inside was a perfect pair of tiny leather shoes. Papa Panova smiled with satisfaction. Yes, they were as good as he remembered, the best shoes he'd ever made. I could give him those, he decided, as he gently put them away and sat down again. He was feeling tired now, 
And the further he read, the sleepier he became. The print began to dance before his eyes, so that he closed them just for a moment. In no time at all, Papa Panova was fast asleep. As he slept, he dreamed. He dreamed that someone was in the room. And he knew at once, as one does in dreams, who the person was. It was Jesus. You've been wishing that you could see me, Papa Panova, he said kindly. Then look for me tomorrow. It will be Christmas Day and I will visit you. But look carefully, for I shall not tell you who I am. When at last Papa Panova awoke, the bells were ringing out and the thin light was filtering through the shuttles. Bless my soul, said Papa Panova, it's Christmas Day. He stood up and stretched himself, for he was rather stiff. Then his face filled with happiness as he remembered his dream. This would be a very special Christmas after all, for Jesus was coming to visit him. How would he look? Would he be a little baby? As at the first Christmas? Would he be a grown man, a carpenter, or the great king that he is, God's son? He must watch carefully the whole day through so that he recognized him however he came. Papa Panova put on a special pot of coffee for his Christmas breakfast. Doesn't that sound good? Took down the shutters and looked out the window. The street was deserted. No one was stirring yet. No one except the road sweeper. He looked as miserable and as dirty as ever. And well, he might. Whoever wanted to work on Christmas Day and in the raw, cold, and bitter, freezing mist of such a morning. Papa Panova opened the door, letting in a thin steam of cold air. Come in, he shouted across the street cheerily. Come in and have some hot coffee to keep out the cold. The sweeper looked up, scarcely able to believe his ears. He was only too glad to put down his broom and to come into the warm room. His old clothes steamed gently in the heat of the stove, and he clasped both red hands round the comforting warm mug as he drank. Papa Panova watched him with satisfaction, but every now and then his eyes stared to the window. It would never do to miss his special visitor. Expecting someone? The sweeper asked at last. So Papa Panova told him about his dream. Well, I hope he comes, the sweeper said. You've given me a bit of Christmas cheer I've never expected to have. I'd say you deserve to have your dream come true. And he actually smiled. When he'd gone, Papa Panova put on cabbage soup for his dinner, then went to the door again, scanning the street. He saw no one, but he was mistaken. Someone was coming. The girl walked so slowly and quietly, hugging the walls of shops and houses, that it was a while before he noticed her. She looked very tired, and she was carrying something. As she drew nearer, he could see that it was a baby wrapped in a thin shawl. There was such sadness in her face and in the pinched little face of the baby that Papa Panova's heart went out to them. Won't you come in, he called, stepping outside to meet them. You both need a warm by the fire and a rest. The young mother let him shepherd her indoors and to the comfort of the armchair. She gave a big sigh of relief. I'll warm some coffee or excuse me, I'll warm some milk for the baby. <laughs> I'll warm some milk for the baby, Papa Panova said. I had children of my own. I can feed her for you. He took the milk from the stove and carefully fed the baby from a spoon, warming her tiny feet by the stove at the same time. She needs shoes, the cobbler said. 
But the girl replied, I can't afford shoes. I've got no husband to bring home money. I'm on my way to the next village to get work. Sudden thought flashed through Papa Panova's mind. He remembered the little shoes he'd looked at last night, but he'd been keeping those for Jesus. He looked again at the cold feet and made up his mind. There's an example of giving your treasure to Jesus. Seeing the least of these, seeing those that are in need. What did Jesus tell us? As we do this to the least of these, we do this unto Jesus Christ. The wise men worshiped. They were present enough to worship. This is the most important thing of our message this morning. Present or absent, am I present in worshiping the Lord? Do I come to his feet and bow down before him? Do I adore him? Do I present my treasures before him? Make this practical. Take some treasure that God has given to you and give it away in the name of Jesus. Just to allow someone to be blessed. Invest in kingdom work and, and see what the Lord does. But most importantly, it's the heart. It's the heart of a worshiper. Not just on Christmas morning, but throughout our whole lives. That's a list I want to be on. Not to try to earn or deserve salvation, but because God's so good. When God goes through his list in the sense that he's going, oh, there's a worshiper. There's someone who loves me, who is drawing near to me. That's what we find in the wise men. We'll end with verse 12 here. Then being divinely warmed in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. This is number five. Hear the instruction. Hear the instruction. The wise men were present enough to hear the instruction from God. God says, I don't want you to go back to Herod. They heard this in a dream. And so they went home another way. God wants to give instruction in our lives. Do we have ears to hear that instruction that he would give? Many times his instruction is in regards to people. Maybe you have a Herod in your life. The person that's in authority in your life is a, is a Herod. They're brutal and they're cruel. Well, what would God say to you about that Herod? Maybe it's not the Herod in your life. It's your family. It's your friend. It's your neighbor. It's a stranger. But what's the instruction that God wants to give? I believe God's got instruction for us this week and this year and as we walk with him. God tells us that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That means daily as we get into the word of God, it's shining light. It's shining truth on the decisions that we make each and every day. But when we're not present with God, when we're absent with God, we don't hear that instruction. The wise men could hear this instruction because they're present with the Lord. What have we seen this morning? We've seen five ways that these wise men were present. How about us? Do you see the sign? Do you see the sign of God giving his son, of Christ being crucified, of Christ rising from the dead? This is the ultimate sign that God gives for us to draw near unto him. Do you see the sign in creation? Do you see the sign in the events that God's doing in your life? Man, respond to that. Do you see the signs that, that people are giving to you. Respond to those signs and then make the journey. Church, make the journey. Today, make the journey with the Lord. You've already made the journey to come here and make that journey with him each and every day. It's worth it. Find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Make the journey with people. Okay, I saw the sign. I saw the sign that someone was giving me. Now I'm going to put the effort in. Enter the joy. Church, enter the joy. I don't know why, but a lot of times as Christians, it just seems like We've just drank a bunch of sour lemonade. 
We're just walking around and we're the most pessimistic people on the planet. Like, oh, it's Christmas time. You know, Jesus really wasn't born on December 25th. I don't know why we make such a big deal out of this. Well, you're right. He wasn't born on December 25th. And some of you are like, what? He wasn't? Huh? Yep, he wasn't. We don't know the exact day that Jesus was born. This is a day that we've chosen to remember the birth of, of Jesus Christ. So we walk around doing that, and then, then other times we, we walk around going, well, you know, things are going to get worse before they get better. I'm building my bunker. In the name of Jesus, I'm building my bunker. Yep. Why don't you get saved too? It's good news. You can have a place in my bunker. Woo! So that's what I want for my life. Yeah, praise the Lord. And now I'm in a bunker with a bunch of Christians. This is wonderful, right? Yeah, it is going to get worse before it gets better, but it's going to get better. Jesus is coming, amen? Truth be told, though, I think I have this spiritual gift of grumpiness. <laughs> I can find myself not entering into the joy. These are personal challenges to myself. These are things that God is, is speaking to me. I need to enter into the joy of the Lord. I need to enter into the joy that he's placed all around me. Enter into that joy. Share the treasure. Make it practical. Share the treasure as the Holy Spirit leads you. Just be a cheerful giver and follow that. And then receive the instruction. Receive what God would give to you just like he gave to these wise men. Present or absent? Am I present with the Lord? Am I absent? Am I present with people? Or am I absent? This may be one of the harder commands in the Bible, but Psalms 46 verse 10 says this, be still and know that he is God. Slow down. Slow down the velocity of your life. Even unbelievers are beginning to see the value of being still, being mindful and being present, but they miss out on the most important part. It's be still and know that he is God. God's got it. He's God. He's reigning upon his throne. And as we're still and know that he's God, we then enter into that place of worship. So we're going to do that this morning and take some time to celebrate communion. There's tables here in the front. There's tables in the back. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. Chance is going to lead us in some worship. And go and take the elements, come back to your seat, and then be still. And take some time to meditate upon Christ. Remember him, his broken body. The bread represents his broken body. The cup represents his shed blood. And allow that truth to touch your heart. Connect with that truth in joy and thanksgiving. Jesus, thank you for being broken for me. Thank you that your blood was shed for me. Thank you that you took the cup of suffering so that I could take the cup of salvation and be in that place of worship. Examine your heart and as the Holy Spirit begins to identify things that we need to confess to him and forsake, in this time, confess it to the Lord. Receive the, the forgiveness of the Lord. We take this cup proclaiming his death till he comes. We take this in faith, knowing that Christ is going to return for his church. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, as we come and take communion, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. Jesus came to Bethlehem to be born, died upon the cross, and rose again to save you, to save me. Our sin is what separates us from God. Sin is when we miss the mark of perfection. 
All of us are sinners. And to receive the gospel is to repent, to turn away from sin. It's not works. It's not being a perfect person. It's realizing the direction of my life is selfish and sinful. I'm turning away from my sin and asking Jesus to save me, believing that he's God, that he died and rose again, asking him to be the Lord of my life. We think of the anticipation of the wise men going to the door of this house. There's some anticipation because Christ is knocking upon the door of your heart and will you open it through faith and ask him to be your savior. He loves you. He wants to grant to you eternal life. He wants to walk with you through this life. You need to receive him. We're gonna be available on the sides and as people come to take communion, come over to the side and let us know I'm ready to receive Christ as my savior. Also, as God's children, I know that this is a very difficult time of year. It's a very challenging time of year. And it would break my heart if anybody this morning is at that place where you need prayer. You need God to comfort you. You need God to heal your heart. And you don't come up and receive prayer. For some, as you gather for Christmas, there's going to be someone that you love a lot that's missing, that's passed away. For some of you, it's finances. For some of you, it's relational turmoil. There's relationships that's breaking your heart, that you're bleeding from, from the inside out. For some of you, you just feel like your life is spinning out of control. And all Christmas does for you is bring about acute pain. You're like, I'm avoiding the Christmas Eve service like the plague. Would, would you come and receive prayer? Would you take that step as you come for communion, find somebody, find one of us and say, would you pray with me? Maybe you're sitting next to someone you know well. You can turn to them and say, would you pray with me? I'm just, I'm hurting in this way. God desires for, as we gather together as his people, that we would be a house of prayer, that we would cry out to the Lord. So let's stand together and pray and prepare our hearts for communion. Father, you know us. You know how easy it is to be distracted, to not be present. And right now, we want to take a few moments to be still and know that you're God. Thank you for loving us to the point of giving us your son. Would you bless communion? May it be a rich time as we meditate upon you, Jesus, as you were broken for us, that your blood was shed for us. Lord, have your way. May your will be done in our lives. Would your kingdom come? Father, would you touch hearts that need to be saved? Would you comfort hearts that are broken? Jesus, you told us that you came to heal the brokenhearted. Bless this time of communion in Jesus' name. Amen.